Hey everyone, welcome to the Beyond the Arc podcast. Today I'm here with Gavin and Yash. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having us back. Same here. Yep. So today we're going to talk about um, the Colin Sexton, uh, I don't know the word, debacle or the this contract situation, basically. Um, so currently right now, Colin Sexton is still a restricted free agent. Uh, the Cavs reportedly offered him a three-year, $40 million deal, which is right under the, the tax line for the Cavaliers, which is a huge factor. Um, and, you know, they probably don't want to dip in the luxury tax for this type of team. But yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on uh, this, this situation? Um, well, we started, we'll start by like, we reviewed a lot of the Colin Sexton tape from the 2020 to 2021 season, because obviously he tore his ACL at the beginning of this past season. Um, so watching him from 2020 to 2021 when Garland still what hadn't broken out as a player yet it was clear that there was still a lot of like a lot of the offense for the Cavs ran through Sexton I mean a lot and I should say also that a lot of what he brought as a college player at Alabama translated to the league I think his ability to get downhill and his first step is definitely one of the best amongst guards in the league it's just you know He's really explosive off the dribble. He loves to reject screens and he'll get downhill really fast and has amazing body control and athleticism at the rim. Um, and, you know, just a lot of what I reviewed, reviewed was it, it made me surprised that the Cavaliers, I mean, obviously there's the whole um, cap space issue, as you mentioned, Matt, but I just makes me surprised. And also something that I discovered is that the off ball, role for Sexton being a problem which is maybe a narrative that's been floated a little bit is not really it doesn't have as much um validity to it as you would think because he was actually like 90th percentile on catch and shoot um opportunities during the 2020 to 2021 season he shot 44 percent on catch and shoot opportunities um and like he's he was like a pretty prolific shooter on like no dribble like spot up attempts so that was that was what stuck out the most to me, and I just think it's I think it's interesting that they haven't um, made a more significant offer. But you know, he still sits on the market today, so there's definitely something uh, something to be said about that. Yeah, um, I actually watched uh, the, the Sexton games that I watched this week were actually from this season. He played the first eleven games of their season, and I was just curious to see curious to see how he fit alongside. Um, a better version of Darius Garland, um, as well as their three big tandem, Market and Mobley and Allen. Um, and I was actually, you know, even though the, the stats indicate that he struggled, I actually pulled away a lot of good things. Um, and some of those overlap with what you said, Gavin, with the way you noticed from last season. Uh, like the first step stuff, he was, he's a walking paint touch. Uh, what, what I noticed is he really gets low on drives, even as a small player. Um, and that combined with his explosion, uh, let him get to the rim at ease. Uh, a game, a game I watched was against the the Clippers, and he was able to. He was getting by their all the perimeter defenders with ease. Um, he had no difficulty doing that. Um, and really, what was the difference between this season and or this uh, this past season in 2020-21 was Sexton's jumper, which uh, he really struggled with at the start of the year. Like uh, last year, uh, as you mentioned, 44% on catch and shoot threes. I believe he shot like 40% on threes overall or high thirties, something around something like that. Uh, whereas this season, he, he started off on, on a really rough patch 
Um, he shot 24 percent on th- uh, on threes overall, 23 percent on catch and shoot. Um, and you know that that maybe brings into question uh, how reliable of a of a jump shooter he really is. Even though uh, even th- even if the last three years he has shot pretty well. Um, uh, and, but really, what I what I thought was a positive that I noticed this season was his defense. I thought he was legitimately good as a perimeter defender. Uh, he he had his moments, or he, he matched up well against guys his size. Uh, I watched the two Lakers or the two LA games against the Clippers and Lakers, and, and he matched up against Eric Bledsoe and Russell Westbrook well. Moved laterally, he also has some size uh, at it, or he also has some mass at his frame, so um, he was able to stick through, take bumps. Um, so that was encouraging to me, uh, what I saw on both sides of the ball. Yeah, it's just very hard to – well, you can't. You basically can't deny that Colin Sexton is a really good player um, with everything you guys said with, like, just how dynamic he is on offense, like, just getting into the paint, finishing. Um, and there's, just, like, a level of, like, tenacity that he kind of plays with. And I, I, what for me, what comes to mind is um, his first summer league in the, in the league, he was guarding Josh Hart on that one possession when Josh Hart was like a third year player. Yeah. And then Gavin's he's like, he like stuck his arms out and was like clenching his fists. Like, even though like functioning, like, you know, that, what does that really mean? But like, it's just like a mentality thing. Um, I know just kind of like intangible stuff. Like how can you like, like quantify that? Or why does that matter? But like, he just like plays really hard, you know? Um, and I think that that especially started to show up on the defensive end this year when his technique started coming along um, a little more, um, but I don't think, man, I, I really don't think the conversation, conversation is really about Sexton as the player because it's just hard to deny his talent. It's just the, the contract situation he is with free agency, with um, the Cavaliers trying to stay under that luxury tax line um, at 13 mil. Uh, they would have to clear out um, some extra cap space, get rid of like a Dylan Windler, like a Chetty Osman or someone like that just to get more room to sign Sexton. But then, like, why are you going to do that if no other team is offering Sexton anything? And it just it didn't work out for Sexton in that way where the, the Pistons drafted Ivy, so there's not really a need to get Sexton. And then um, for the like another cap space team, like the Pacers, just like, what is Colin Sexton really going to do for you, especially when you have Halley and Benedict Matherin coming in? Um, you know, like, what is Colin Sexton going to do, do for you? And already in a year where, like, the – in terms of just teams that have cap space, it's just not that many. Um, Sexton kind of just got the short end of the stick. The stick, so um, definitely really unfortunate. Um, but I think the other element of this issue too is the whole Karis Levert trade they made midseason. I think what what do you guys say? Is Colin Sexton better than Karis Levert? Uh, I would I would say so. I think I like I like Karis Levert's like play, like on ball creation better. Like in terms of who can get get their who can get a like shot better who can get to their spot better i i think Karis LeVert's better than that and you're disagreeing Matt but i i know Karis LeVert like when he was with the nets when you watched when he was with the nets where KD and Kyrie were out and he kind of had that big um run where he was like he was the main guy for them i thought he was like he can get to his spot pretty well did he do it like super efficiently not so much but i think in that aspect he's better i would take Colin Sexton I think he's more of a two-way player and i think he i think he i think he fits with what cleveland offers and what cleveland's building around like this is i didn't i was gonna mention this in my first bit about section but when i watched him in the limited possessions from the 2021 2022 season this past season when they had mo 
Mobley. They'd run a nice like little split action with Garland and Mobley. And Mobley get at the top and Sexton, because he's like so athletically like inclined and explosive, he'd make like he'd make like a little jump towards the arc like he's gonna DHO. And then he would he'd go right behind the guy and backdoor him. And Mobley can pass like that. Jaron Allen didn't really have that, but Mobley's a way more like alert and like talented passer. And like that was definitely something that was like standing out as like a as a like as a big like part of his game that could be added for Cleveland. So I don't know. That was just something I noticed. But in terms of whether I'd rather have sex, I kind of went off and tangent there. Well, I'd rather have Sexton or Levert. I'd rather have Sexton. I think he's more of a two-way player, and he fits what they're um, what they can do offensively. And we've seen it. We've seen it this past past year. Yeah, I think Sexton is. I definitely take Sexton on my team if I'm uh, over Levert, uh, and as, especially if I'm Cleveland. I think uh, what one of biggest or one of Cleveland's biggest needs last year was just spacing at the wing. Um, starting three bigs really does that or really messes up spacing for you. And they really just lack shooting outside of that. Um, so, and Colin Sexton is, is a good shooter. Uh, even if he, with the struggles to start this season, he's had uh, the reputation of the three years prior. Uh, so he's a good shooter. And I just don't think Levert brings anything as dynamic as uh, Sexton's driving game. Um, and overall, I just think he's uh, a better fit. Um, yeah. Oh, much more to say. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear Sexton is the better player. And also just Levert didn't fit any of the Cavs need. I guess like maybe like the ball handling part. There's that. I guess you could say they needed another one because Sexton was just hurt. But then if that's the case, why are you really pushing in for this season to make some sort of like run? You're, I'm trying to remember what the exact trade. I should have this pulled up. I know they, they gave up a, a first um, to Indiana for Levert. Uh, along with like Ricky Rubio, who you know they ended up, I guess they they got him back this off season, but um, I don't know it just didn't really make sense fit wise. Like, I think they they had the guy that fit well like right there in on their roster in Colin Sexton, and then now they brought in Levert, and I I tweeted about this today. I think there's some there's definitely some sort of um, deal where the Cavs are kind of trying to like save face because they they gave up like some valuable assets to Indiana to get Levert. Um, when Levert didn't end up playing well, clearly didn't really fit. And Sexton is kind of like their homegrown talent guy. Like they drafted that guy. Um, and then after this is his third or like going into his fourth year, like now they're not even offering him. Well, they offered him a very low ball deal um, after, when he's a restricted free agent, which uh, just kind of, for me, it's a really bad look on the, the front offense that they're just kind of trying to save face by low balling Sexton. And they're kind of lucky the market kind of worked out in their favor just with other teams not having the need for, for Sexton at all and just not that many cap space teams. So yeah, um, I really hope I Sexton can get back to the Cavs because that's like the one team that actually needs Sexton that, that was in free agency. Like the Pacers don't need him. The Pistons didn't really need him. Like the, the Cavs are like the only, the only one that really needed him. And now they, get, they just get to like low ball offer Colin Sexton and they just got lucky that no other team really needed him in this uh, situation. Um, yeah, do you guys have anything to add for this whole deal? No, I just, yeah, I agree. I think they got very fortunate that, I mean, no other team can offer them. I and mean, we, we kind of talked about it uh, just talking before this, like, you know, like he would be a great fit with Dallas, especially just they had lost Brunson and kind of that like yin and yang with 
Luca is like more methodical play. And then you have Sexton, who's more like a North South player, which I mean, you know, it's not, it's fun to just do these hypotheticals, but you know, the cap space and the, and the uh, transaction part of it doesn't, doesn't make sense. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting that they, it's unfortunate that they've lowballed him because he, he played phenomenally well. And like, I also, I also think that we're, they, the Cavs would listen to what you just said and they'd say, well, look, he tore his ACL. He's, he relies on his explosiveness so much as a player. Like, how's he going to come back? What's he going to look like when he recovers from that injury? And which is, which are all valid points. But like you said, like homegrown guy drafted top 10. And like, if you're giving up on him, for Karis Levert and Dylan Windler and Chitty Osmond, then that's like it's kind of like that's a that's a curious that's a curious decision. But you know that's it's the it's the cost of doing business, I guess. In this case, well, I don't think it's really they're giving up on him. I think they're just like trying to squeeze every single dollar they can get um, in terms of not paying Sexton. You know, because I think they want him back and they recognize he's a talent. It's just like. The, the number, they couldn't come to an agreement on whatever number for an extension. And then the market's clearly not there. So now you're just trying to lowball him. And then, you know, if he takes that deal, it's a win for the Cavs in terms of team building. You know, that that's just what it is. Um, Yash, you have anything to add? No, I agree with everything you all said. Okay. Um, are you guys okay with moving to the other portion of this pod we had, the uh, breakout players? Sounds good to me. Okay. Um, so yeah, for everyone listening, we're going to move on to our second kind of topic of today. We just all picked uh, one or two breakout players that we think are going to take a leap next year. Um, at least for me, when I, when I thought about it, it's for someone to take a leap, it's probably going to be a combination of like just projected skill development along with, and honestly, maybe even more importantly, an increased role. Because sometimes, you know, they just had that skill and they just didn't get the chance to show it. Um, but, you know, a combination of both those things, you know, could lead to a player taking a leap. Um, so but we can start with Yash. Yash, who is your breakout player for next year that you're predicting? Yeah. Uh, so one of the two guys I had was, uh, you know, I had to stick with my my squad, the Warriors. Uh, I went with Moses Moody. Um, and a lot of the reasons why I think he's going to uh, play a big role and ha- have a better season next year is, like you mentioned, uh, just the, the greater opportunity he's going to have next year. Um, you know, Golden State. Uh, this offseason clearly prioritized giving their their young guys um, more minutes moving on to next season, a bigger role. You know, they got rid of a lot of the vets that uh, contributed towards the end of their rotation. And Damian Lee was uh, the relevant one here. Uh, in Moody's case, he's the one that took up a lot of the backup wing minutes uh, that Moses Moody will now fill. And, you know, I'm excited to see what he does. I think Moody brings a, um, uh, he brought a needed dynamic for this team last season itself. Um, just really didn't get the opportunity to show it. You know, an example was last year in the playoffs. Uh, he had a, a big uh, fourth quarter against Dallas. I believe it was game one or, or game two as a part of their comeback. Uh, just his ability to, uh, you know, sh- first of all, shoot the ball. Uh, and, you know, with the attention that he receives, the closeouts and such, attack them, uh, go up strong and, uh, you know, make connective reads. Just be, being that sort of glue piece offensively uh, on a team that, relies on quick ball movement, quick decisions. Uh, he really fits that mold well. And um, I know I think in an increased role where he's also going to get some starting time potentially with uh, that core group of guys, you know, Steph Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, uh, getting rest during the regular season. 
um, you know, he's going to get some run and he, I think he's going to show out. Yeah. I, I like Moody a lot. I, I mean, we discussed it before. If Yash didn't pick Moody, I was going to, I was going to do it, but I left him for uh, the Warriors Homer on the pod. So, um, but I like Moody a lot. I think he was phenomenal coming out of Arkansas. And this, I mean, honestly, this is a little deviation, but a little shout out. I mean, this is what makes the Warriors an elite franchise, in my opinion, is that everyone was really, I mean, I, and rightfully so, I should give respect to Gary Payton. Gary Payton obviously walked three years, 28 million with the Blazers, but this is just the cost of doing business. Is Moody still got three years left on his rookie scale deal, which is going to be worth a fraction of whatever Gary Payton's getting paid. And I really do think that Moody will be able to come in and he'll add that defensive um, ability and that length on defense and be able to do what he does best on offense. You'd be like, be a spot up shooter and be able to knock down shots when the Warriors need to hit him. And that's, I mean, that sounds basic and it sounds like, you know, it sounds like your average three and D wing, but like Moody's really elite at that. And there's other aspects to his game that he's going to continue to develop. But next year, he'll be able to step in and do those at a very high level with the Warriors. And he'll be doing it at $4 million a year instead of the, the nine that Gary Payton would be paying paid, which seems like marginal numbers. But like when you're dealing with the Warriors luxury tax situation is $5 million is kind of a kind of a big deal. So, you know, I'm definitely I expect big things out of Moody. And Kaminga both drafted from that same class, and I think uh, I think he's poised for a for a big season next year. I think it's very valuable that Moody got that time in the playoffs, and he's actually able to you know tread water a bit. He wasn't being like a game changing player, you know, but he was still able to like stay on the floor, give him like good filler minutes, um, which is for a rookie playing it literally at a conference final level. Like that's all you can really ask for. That's all you can really. Uh, need especially with like a later he's a later lottery pick right yeah he was like he was like 14 i think yeah yeah something like that yeah so you know i think that's that says a lot about what kind of player he's going to be and also just a very translatable skill set with his ability to shoot um defend a bit so yeah i think that's that's a pretty good pretty good pick for someone who's going to have a breakout season um gavin you got a player yeah, so my first player, a little more established player than uh, than Moses Moody. I picked uh, um, Spurs uh, guard guard forward Kelvin Johnson. Um, he's done really. He was drafted like twenty eighth overall in the twenty nineteen draft. He was kind of he kind of fell a bit. People expected him to go higher, but he's done really well through his first uh, three seasons was with Spurs, and he's had impressive development. Over the first three years, I think he's really – I think he's in statistical – offensive statistical category since he's entered the league year over year, which is a testament to the Spurs development program and what they have going on down there. But I really – I think – I mean, obviously the Spurs are not going to be a, a fantastic team this year. So I'm interested to see Keldon Johnson take a role, especially more as an – on like as a ball handler and a creator – because uh, DeJounte Murray's gone now. And I think I watched a little bit of the film and it was, it was very erratic and it was very, it wasn't polished at all, but I really like the way that Keldon Johnson, he has a big, he has like a stockier frame. Like the players, I think of like Desmond Bain and Keldon Johnson, just like very like big wide shouldered guys. And if they get into you, like you're, you're going back and that helps them create space 
on like on runners and getting into the paint. He was 51st percentile on runners is like very middle of the pack, 43% um, on runners. So it's like, he's not, he's not super efficient at it, but he's shown like good touch and getting into the paint and being able to hit like a eight to 10 footer. Um, and I just think, I think, and he's also shown a lot of development as a perimeter player since his days at Kentucky. So I just, I just be, I'm interested to see how he develops as more of an on-ball role, especially with Murray gone and um, how he can, how he can start like elevating this team. I don't know if he'll ever be like, he's not going to be the guy on the Spurs to be like the top player on a championship run. I don't think, I I think they're going to need a true star for that. But I I would view him as a very solid complimentary player. And I think he I think he'll continue to improve going into his fourth season here. Yeah, I like Keldon Johnson's game, just overall versatility at the four. Um, if you look at like his uh, play type breakdown, it was just like there is a it was mostly spot on 37.8 percent. But there was also like transition ball handling, pick and roll ball handling, coming off handoffs, cutting. So he has a nice little spread of like what he can do, which I like. Uh, especially if you're getting that from your four-man, that's going to be really um, valuable. Uh, my only concern is just he seems like the type – he's not really that much of a creator. I don't – would you agree with that? He's not much of a creator. Yeah. Like one ball. Yeah. Um, but because of that, the the Spurs, they got rid of Murray this past offseason. Derek White got traded midseason. And just I don't really know where that initial creation is going to come from um, that Kellen Johnson can play off of. You know, um, so they're kind of missed. The Spurs are kind of missing that aspect developmentally that might hurt Johnson. Like you might give him some more on ball stuff. Like, I don't really, I don't think that's going to go super well. Cause he's not the most crafty ball handler or anything like that. He's more of like a power driver leans more towards that. Um, and there's only, that's only, that can only get you so far, especially if you're not like super, like just super skilled. Um, so yeah, he, he definitely will get the volume to possibly take a step up next year, but I don't know if that'll actually come to fruition, like in terms of like efficiency or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Was, I mean, I uh, I'm not. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna respond to Matt's point. And you yeah, go for it. Yeah. But I was I was just say like I don't think he's gonna be like a significant like pick and roll, um, like ball handler. I like I wouldn't I wouldn't peg him as like you're he's gonna be your point guard and he's gonna be he's not gonna be what Dejounte Murray was. But I've seen a little bit of from him. It's just like you know, being able to make like a basic read or short roll it to Pirtle or to guys like that. Like, it's just like little things. And like, he had, he had 1.7 to uh, one, like assist to turnover ratio, which is pretty solid as like a three, four kind of wing guy. So I don't know. I, I agree. He's not going to be, he's not going to be a pick. He's not going to be anywhere close to Murray, but I think he can do it in, um, in a limited fashion and then other things while he's playing on ball. Yeah. I question how good Kelvin can be on ball, but you know, just seeing a guy, uh, you know, finally get, uh, finally get more touches. You know, you never know what comes out of it. Um, but there are things that he is going to learn, and he, he is going to develop in some areas uh, just through experience, uh, as Gavin mentioned. Um, and you know, that's Dejounte Murray. That's like 88 touches, according to NBA.com, uh, that, that are going to go around, and Kelvin's going to get a, a handful of them. A lot of them are going to be bad. Some are going to be really good. Um, so there's definitely a chance that he, he can uh, break out in that role. It just more touches. Yeah, that's a kind of the uh, increased volume type of deal. Um, honestly, I don't really know 
Well, I didn't watch much Spurs last year, so I don't really know his game super, super well. Um, I know he did play for that, that FIBA, the FIBA team 2020-2021, um, which, you know, that says a lot that that coaching staff saw that out of him. To be fair, it was also Greg Popovich who was the head coach. So, you know, who knows? But uh, do you guys have anything to add or we can move on to my player, my breakout player? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my breakout player is Patrick Williams. Um, this is, he's going into his third year right now, I believe. Um, he six seven uh, uh, four for the uh, Chicago Bulls, and he was hurt the majority of last year. Um, he didn't. He I believe he played like the first few games Chicago, um, but then he got hurt. And then Chicago actually played very well last year. They they definitely exceeded expectations, especially early on when they weren't as hurt and ravaged by COVID as they were later on, uh, like later to middle part of the season. Uh, but when Patrick Williams came back towards the end of the season and, you know, the Bulls were resting guys, they were resting Levine, resting DeRozan, uh, Alonzo was still out. Like he got a lot more um, ball handling reps, just like a, just way more higher usage. And I actually really liked what I saw from him. Um, in the, the previous summer league, the 2020-2021 summer league, or I guess no, it was the summer of 2021, that summer league. Um, he, he was the main guy for the Bulls. Like he was their guy. And he just looked very like clunky when he handled the ball. Like it just didn't look very natural. And I remember when I saw him, I was like, this guy is not going to be any sort of like creator whatsoever. It's just like, he was so, he was just so stiff with the ball that I, I just couldn't really envision him growing from that, especially in that short of a time span to where by the end of the, this past season, like, he had like a, I think a 30, 30 plus point game. To be fair, it was like last game of the season. The Timberwolves were resting people, but the Timberwolves still put Jaden McDaniels on him. And Patrick Williams still dropped a nice little 30 piece. And he was getting it in ways that were sustainable. It wasn't just him pounding the ball, um, trying to create an isolation. There was a little bit of that, but a lot of it too was just like he's playing off a skip pass from like Ayo Desumu uh, out of a pick and roll attack. And then he like attacks and goes, uh, which is something that's going to be there all the time with when you're playing with DeRozan and Zach Levine um yeah a lot of like attacking off the catch stuff like that and he even was running pick and roll reps um and he actually looked like pretty natural like it looked it looked pretty good like he made some like cutting reads that were like in front of him that he was able to make like timely like accurate um, so I really like those flashes he had like the pull-up jumper game he was using his body well to like put the defender in jail and then create separation for his pull-up um, he was making threes. Like he was just doing a lot of different things on the offensive end. I liked, um, and then I looked into it a little more. Actually, it turns out he was a point guard in high school, which is uh, pretty pretty interesting. Like he was apparently he was like five ten, um, coming into high school. But then by the end, he was like you know six like six 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 seven like what he is now. So he does have like that kind of like that ball handling ability, um, and he's also. Apparently, like, he's a dominant left hand. He's like a left-handed player. Or not left-handed player. He was left-handed, like, growing up. But for some reason, he just shoots with his right hand. So his left-handed dribbling is actually... He actually prefers dribbling left than going right. Um, so then teams will, like, shade him to go to his right. But then, like, the right is what he's more comfortable with now. So it's like he's a pretty ambidextrous ball handler, which is something pretty unique you're getting from, like, a six-seven wing. Um, so, yeah, I just... I think... Him sliding in at the four spot, which was like a huge need for the Bulls last year. They're playing Javante Green there, and it was like he provided a lot of energy, um, just offensive rebounding, putback, but he just could not shoot the ball. 
Um, that's the guy, like, he just help off, force the outlet there, and then I guess Toronto Green taking a corner three, it did, what, did not end well. And then even defensively, like, he played with energy, but, like, he would get beat at the point of attack all the time. Um, and he just wasn't very big. He's, like, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but he's, like, big, but, you know, he's still shorter. So Patrick Williams also brings a little more length there. So, yeah, I just really like uh, Patrick Williams for the Bulls next year. I had no idea Pat Will only played 17 games last year. Um, I had no idea he missed that much of the season. Um, Telling me you weren't a Bulls fan last year? I wasn't. No, nah, I regret it. Uh, you know, I mean, I went back and watched a couple games, like just DeMar Hoops, are, and they're, they're marvelous to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, just him getting time back with that group is um, – it, it's, it, it's definitely needed for him at this stage of his career, just more time on the court. Um, and something I thought Chicago really lacked last year was offensive versatility. Uh, like Levine and DeRozan are excellent scorers, but, you know, funneling on ball rest of them full time uh, with no real, no other offensive output really made their uh, offense pretty rough to watch at times. Uh, and that really took a toll in that Milwaukee series where uh, they, they were really just able to hone up on them and there was nothing to come out of it. So if Pat Will is able to make strides, um, you know, whether that be as a complimentary player attacking closeouts, uh, hitting jump shots, and even taking some reps in the second unit and running pick and roll, you know, that could really add an element, a much needed element to Chicago's game, um, you know, not just benefiting him as a player. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree with uh, everything covered. I just say, I th- think you mentioned it, Matt, about how like coming in the summer, summer league his first quote nba action it was like he was super stiff and he was like it wasn't there was nothing there was no like wiggle off the dribble and it was like it was just like really bland i think a lot of that was like kind of florida state system when he played there like it, they didn't really promote that part of his game or they didn't like activate that part of his game so i mean we saw it in high school and then he went to florida state and they turn him into a like strictly spot up two way transition guy. And then he comes back into the league, obviously like he's going to, it's going to take a little bit for him to like get back into that rhythm. But then now that we're seeing like the bulls are taking, we're taking advantage of that when he was healthy, I'm not surprised to see him being able to hit like rhythm, rhythm jumpers and have like a little bit of the off the dribble stuff and like finishing at the rim, like a lot more fluidity. I think he just was gaining that back from, from uh, when he, his high school days. And then they kind of like, they kind of took that away from him at Florida state, but um, I'd also just say defensively Pat will has been uh, elite. I mean, he's, he's super crazy athlete and you know, that's like, it's been huge for Chicago defensively when he's on the floor, they have a lot of very capable defenders. And so, and his versatility gives them a lot of options. So, you know, I, everyone was surprised when he's picked top five. I think he's been uh, very, very deserving and um, hopefully he can, we can get a full healthy season out of him this year. Yeah, the other thing besides health to keep your eye on is just his overall aggressiveness. Because um, there's times where he is a little bit more passive just because he plays that more of an off-ball role. Like I said, he did get a lot more volume, but a lot of his the volume he was getting was just like off of kickouts. Like he wasn't always doing like the most creating off the dribble from the top, which is fine. That's not his game. He knows that. But sometimes, you know, he can kind of get lost in the shuffle a bit and he'll just like disappear for some possessions. You just won't really feel his presence when he's more than talented enough to demand those type of reps, I think. Um, and for the Bulls to take a step up next year, um, Patrick Williams is definitely going to need to 
take a pretty significant leap because there's really no path for them to improve because Levine and DeRozan are kind of like what they are already, you know? Uh, and so Patrick Williams is kind of like the one big X factor question mark, whatever you want to call it. He's the guy that if he levels up, he can take the Bulls to um, a whole nother tier possibly. Because uh, I, I really like the, the Bulls, like their offense, um, especially the beginning of the year when they were all healthy. Once again, health is also a huge thing. But they just like move the ball really well um, with just like Vooch as like a connector piece, like flowing from like pick and roll. It's like short roll, boom, you're turning that into like a kick out or like a dribble handoff or something. Like everything just like flowed really well. They're creating three-point looks. And then as the season went along, as they like more guys started dropping, like you wouldn't have Zach Levine or DeRozan every night. It became a lot more just tons of isolation ball, like taking tough shots over and over again. And they kind of fell into that habit towards the end of the season to where it, it kind of carried into the playoffs and that ball movement wasn't really there like it was beginning of the year. And part of it too might be also just Lonzo not being there. Um, he got hurt, didn't really come back um, at all. So yeah, I still really like the the Bulls. I, I especially like Pat Williams now, especially after kind of doing this uh, more of a deep dive on him. Definitely a guy I'm going to be tracking into uh, next season for sure. Um, do you guys have another player you guys want to share? Yeah, should we we, we can keep the same order? Should yeah, we? yeah, so you go. Okay, all right. Uh, my second player is Jalen Noel. Um, I, I really liked his game last year. Just towards the end of the year, he uh, he fell out of the Minnesota Timberwolves rotation um, in a time where I thought they really could have used him. Um, their offense really, or especially in the playoffs, their offense really uh, stagnated. They didn't have too many options to go to. Um, and that's where Noel could have really helped as someone that uh, can create his own shot, can run some pick and roll, uh, and get to his spots, um, and also play perimeter defense, um, which is an area that uh, the Wolves are going to need, you know, the, the help as a committee with uh, Patrick Beverly out. Um, they're going to need guys to step up, and I think that's really what's going to earn Jalen Noel uh, his minutes uh, and allow, to allow him to show uh, what he can do offensively. Um, so second unit reps, I think, I think Jalen Noel is, is going to have a more consistent role, which is going to lead to him having a better season this year. Um, and yeah, that, that's really the basis. Um, I think that if he has a good enough season, uh, he, he could, you know, with Minnesota winning as well, that he could be in the conversation for six man of the year. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not as familiar with Jalen Noel. I mean, he's he's very talented player. It just I, from what I my initial thought is just as you bring him up is that he becomes that much more um, important to this team as they've sent the whole sent the house to Utah for Rudy Gobert. I mean, you lose you lose Beverly, you lose Jared Vanderbilt. And so, like you said, like adding a guy who can create his own shot, elite pick and roll guy um, and just like a facilitator. He I think he's good because he's very in terms of how he operates is like is similar to D'Lo. And like having D'Lo as the starter and then being able to bring him in, you have the same system. It's the it's same same pace of play in terms of how he operates out of the pick and roll. And so I, I think that's – I think he's he's a very talented player. I, I agree. Sixth man of the year is definitely not out of the conversation. And like you said, with defensively too, losing Vanderbilt and Beverly are huge for the Wolves. And obviously you still have McDaniels, but he's going to have to step up in a big way. and. Uh, um, I can see him. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think he can make a make a big leap for the Wolves this year, especially as the 
the depth chart was a little depleted through the uh, off-season blockbuster for Gobert. So, yeah, me and Yash, you know, Timberwolves stands over here, especially this season. Um, but yeah, Jalen Noel was definitely a guy. He came on a little late for the Wolves. The coaching staff just didn't really have that much trust in him. I think it mainly stemmed from just defensive issues uh, at the beginning of the year. He's just more than capable of defending. Is just you know the the awareness and like concentration wasn't always there. Um, but offensively, he's just super, super talented, just like shot creator um, from the three-point line, getting into the mid-range, even can like throw down some dunks. Like, like he's a really, really good offensive player. Um, definitely a, a level up over Patrick Beverly on that end. Um, in terms of like creating off the dribble, though, for like a guard, like it's probably Anthony Edwards and then it's Jalen Noel, I would say, right? Like I over D'Lo. Like yeah, I think at this stage uh, in his career, Delo's getting up there in age too. Uh, I think isolation stuff is sort of out of the question. He's more of a pick and roll guy. So if we're talking strictly creating an ISO, I think you you might be right. Jill and Noel might be number two. Noel might be their best like mid-range scorer. Oh yeah, for the sure. The team, yeah. Perhaps, like, yeah. Like him and Cat maybe, but you know, they're just like different types of players. Um, but yeah, Noel is definitely, I think that people are going to, People started to realize towards the end of this season how good he is. I think this year is really going to solidify it. And if I'm not mistaken, this is contract year two. Um, I'm not sure. I, be- I believe it is. So, okay. yeah, that would be something to, to keep an eye on. Definitely a very talented player. Um, going to be a huge part of the Wolves rotation next year. Uh, Gavin, you got another, another guy? Um, yeah. So, my second guy was um, Alperen Shengun from uh, the Rockets. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. But um, second year guy, he was drafted, I think he was 16th in the in the 2021 draft. I just think it's kind of, this is what uh, my pick with the Keldon Johnson. I was, there's a lot of guys on the Rockets I was kind of looking at because I just think as they kind of start to build their core, guys are going to have to separate themselves and there's some clear pieces that they're going to build around. And tradit like, in general, I'm more against like traditional centers. I think the game is moving to a more perimeter game and you want a guy who's going to be able to shoot the ball. I mean, we're talking, you were mentioning cat and we were mentioning Vucevic guys who can kind of extend beyond the arc and hit a, hit a trailer three and pick and pop. Like I, I, if I was building a team, that's how I build it. But I'm really, I really like the way Shen Shen plays. And I think his playmaking at his size is just so elite that it'll add something to this team especially as like I think the three guards that the Rockets have right now in Jalen Green Kevin Porter and Josh Christopher they all have their passing chops and like you know it's they're they're still very young but I wouldn't say any of them are like elite passers yet and especially if a team that's looking for a star I mean Jalen Green is phenomenal offensively as we know but he's not like an elite creator for others at this point. And I'm not saying I don't think Schengen is going to be that. Like, it's hard to be the primary creator as a center unless you're getting doubled and, and you're able to kick it out like that. But I think his passing and the way he has such a high IQ for the game is going to be incredibly valuable for the Rockets. I also just think it was interesting watching him going back and uh, looking at his film from last season is that it it was it was really inefficient, but I've seen I like the flashes I saw of like a like an in between game. Like he was able to hit 
like a few runners and he he has like he's he's a kind of clunky but he's able to get to his spot and he can finish pretty like gracefully for a guy at his size okay. and so i just think like that that part of his game like it's it's definitely not his strength at this point like i think he's definitely a back to the basket like big body gonna like finish anywhere from three to five feet but like being able to have like a little like jump hook and being able to extend your range is something that i could definitely see him doing especially going into year two in the league and having a a full normal year under his belt going into this year or full normal off season, I should say um, going into this year, I think that'll be uh, something he adds to his game. And I'm excited to just watch the Rockets as a whole, but I think he could be a big piece for them this year. Yeah. I really like Shingoon. Um, I'm with you here. Um, I think he's just with his skill set. He is one of the more skilled bigs in the league. Um, like he's, he operates primarily in the post. That's also how they, uh, he came in as a post-up player uh, from the draft, and that's also how they used him uh, majority last season. But I, th- I also think he has more than that to his game. Uh, he can handle the ball really well just in general. Um, he he had a great feel uh, just watching some of his clips uh, earlier. He has a great feel for the fake DHO uh, that a lot of bigs have, where and he's able to put the ball on the floor, uh, you know, get all the way to the rim. Um, and even finish. I think he's a, a bit more athletic than he may let you on with his slow, methodical play style. Uh, he can really get up, um, throw down. And we also saw that, you know, with him as a pick and roll, uh, pick and roll man. Uh, he had a couple plays, you know, catching it in the middle of the floor, going up and dunking or uh, even getting up for lobs, playing off of Jalen Green or KPJ. Um, and getting rid of Christian Wood really opens up opportunity uh, for them. Just the C Wood dynamic was just not working uh, he was in a different spot with his career they're in a different stage as an organization uh, and it was clear that he didn't want to be there and uh, ultimately they made the move that was best for their franchise and uh, th- there's a shot that Alperin Sengun really steps up next year yeah I mean currently I think Sengun is projected to be their starting five come yeah. uh, opening night which Offensively, that, that team's going to be really fun to watch now with uh, Jabari Smith, like what he can do in terms of shooting. Um, obviously, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., and whoever they play at the four, Jason or Deshaun Tate. Um, defensively, though, that, that team might be a little interesting. But just like they were this year, I guess. Uh, pretty, pretty bad on that end with Sengun, just lack of mobility. Um, but I, I don't think it's completely out of the question. Like, I think he can become like a decent defender at the five just um, because of how good his feel is, especially uh, on the offensive end. Let's see if he can like translate that to the, to the other end of the floor. Um, but yeah, I don't really have much to add. Just a high field player, get him get more opportunities. So I think that's a pretty good bet for a guy who's going to level up next year. Yeah. We can move on to my, uh, my second guy, if you guys have anything to, to add on Sengun. Um, so a bit of a cop-out, wasn't sure who to pick. So I picked Anthony Edwards. Um, I think we all here agree. I think pretty much everyone in that covers the NBA and in the NBA, everyone disagrees that Edwards could definitely take a level up next year. Um, so there, there's something I've, I've been working on like recently this, this past afternoon, actually, it's just something I noticed, um, with his games, just. The, the way Anthony Edwards is going to level up is he just, there's a lot of like just extra, like, I guess you can call it like extra like fat on his game that you can kind of, if you, he can cut that off, um, 
it's going to do wonders for his just scoring efficiency. So currently I'm, wor I'm working on a, a thread right now talking about how um, kind of like the, his one weakness, which is his mid-range game. And I think a lot of people know, like, you know, that's just not his strongest suit in terms of scoring. But if you look at it more detailed, uh, detailed what I realized was that, like, his form, if you, if you think about it, it, like, he leans back kind of far. Like, he kind of fades, like, leans back just naturally on his shot. Like, you see it in his three ball. Um, so when he tries to shoot that same shot in the mid-range, it takes a little longer to get off. And also, just because his momentum is more going up a little bit backwards, and then when you're driving, like, let's say you're coming off a pick and you're kind of going forward, he has to, like, somehow change and shift his momentum to go the other way. So to do that, he takes, like, that, that one dribble, like, pound dribble step back, right? But because he does that, it allows the rear view contest guy to come back and get, get, a, get a contest off, or the drop big could step up and then give a contest. And that's kind of why his numbers were so low. On top of his the the sample size being really low, just can't get a shot off in the mid range sometimes because of the need he needs to be kind of like move backwards a little bit. So if he can somehow add to his game, just like going straight up, I think that's going to do really good things for his scoring efficiency. Um, it's going to open up those drives a little more because teams are going to step up on um, when they like they have like the drop big. It's going to open up the basket a little more, which is then going to open up his playmaking more. So once he kind of figures that out, I think his game is really going to level up but besides that like I, th I think you know the opportunity wise he's gonna get it you now get the roll big like we talked about a few pods ago um you know yash your big big roll guy so yeah i think it's pretty clear he's gonna take a level up just like cutting like that extra extra part of his game uh sharpening things up a little bit i think he's gonna he's gonna have a really good season yeah i mean I think I don't know. We've I've, we've gone back and forth about Ant. We've we've dedicated a lot of the off season content to the Timberwolves and their their uh, their uh, potential this upcoming and, season. And? But well, no, I, I I'm I'm here for it. You know, I, yeah, that's my, what I thought. my thoughts on Rudy Gobert are well documented, as Matthew knows. So it's like it's it'll. I'm looking I'm looking forward to watching them. I think it'll be interesting. I I like what you said about Ant. I think that's definitely something that if you watch his game closely like as you have then i think that's something that i'll notice i think also what i'm noticing just i mean i've obviously i've watched a good amount of and but also just looking at the raw numbers is that he was 73rd percentile transition player but 42nd percentile half court player all offensive possessions last year and you know i mean that's that's nitpicking he's obviously super talented that's not i'm not knocking him in any way but it's just that's definitely something to watch is that I think they're going to start leaning on him more so than D'Lo as a, a primary score like once they get deep into the playoffs and obviously that's their that's their goal going into this season I think as they start to lean on him more we'll start to see how he it'll or I should say it'll be interesting to see how he has um, evolved his game as a half court player uh, go after this off season, because in the, in the playoffs, as we know, when the game slows down, like being able to, being able to get to your spot and isolate against a guy and, and hit that shot is, is extremely important. And he's phenomenal in transition and he's a very North South player, but when the game slows down and you got to get into sets and you're going to be, you have more like designated shots and, and plays to run. Like, is that something that he'll be able to do with his pace of play? And I, I, I fully expect him to be, but I just think that's something that, you know, keep an eye on going into this year. 
Yeah, I feel like everyone is uh, waiting on the inevitable and to leap this season. That's sort of why I, stra- I straight away from picking him for this, but it, I, I feel like he is the most likely player in the league to break out. So it's, it's rightful that we only talk about him. Um, but the name of the game for Ant, I feel, is balance. Uh, he's a crazy talent, as we all know, a dynamic driver, dynamic shooter. Uh, but I think what he has to do is find the balance. And, you know, the, the so he had games where uh, last season where he was able to do one of or either one at a high level. Uh, but there were also games in between where uh, he really struggled. Uh, you know, when one wasn't going, uh, he, he continued to force it. Um, and, you know, that had that that brought on like some really rough shooting games. Uh, so if he's able to develop that balance, you know, find the right, uh, you know, find when to take uh, those pull-up threes, uh, those tween-tween step-back threes, those uh, attacks to the basket. Um, you know, that as uh, you guys mentioned, when he'll continue to get more reps, as he'll continue to lead towards him as their number one guy, uh, you know, how good he will be next season is ultimately uh, what will determine how good Minnesota will be. So I'm excited to see what happens. Now, one one thing I heard this offseason, I forgot, it was one of those, like, the player podcasts, um, but they said one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing to do um, in terms of playing basketball is knowing when to shoot the ball and when to pass the ball. Of course, it's, like, a very reductive statement, um, but I think that applies very well to Ant. Like, he just got to figure out, like, he can get a shot whenever he wants. It's just, like, when can you get a more efficient look? Maybe there's your teammate has a better look or something like that. So just like kind of learning how to play the game a little better. And that's that inevitable leap is, or that inevitable leap in that area is going to come just by playing more, you know? So, yeah, I think it's a pretty safe bet to take a leap. Um, yeah, I'll have a thread coming out on that specific like detail soon about leaning back on a shot and stuff. Um, but yeah, do you guys have anything more? We can wrap it up here. No, all good. All right. Uh, thank you for everyone for listening to the Beyond the Arc podcast. Uh, we recently just passed 100 followers on Twitter, which is super yes, dope. 50, we gained like 50 followers in the past month, uh, which is pretty cool to see, especially after we had our hiatus because of my like Twitter suspension, all that, all that stuff. I was so, so dumb. Um, but yeah, anyways, thank you for listening. Um, we'll have another episode for you guys next week along with you know our, our weekly uh, content. But yeah, thanks for listening, everyone.